السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبي الكريم وعلى آله وأصحابه جميعين just checking from our viewers إن شاء الله تعالى if we are going if we if we are live uh, please let us know if you've got any viewers إن شاء الله just double check Let me check for my other tab. Hmm. Yes. We're live. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Mustafa. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hope you understand, Ta'ala. I was going to uh, go straight into the topic for today, inshallah Ta'ala, which is about thabat, uh, finding consistency. Uh, in uh, post-Ramadan, as we know, it's the month of Shawwal. The month of Shawwal is the, the month that comes after Ramadan, uh, preceded by or then after Zul Qaeda. So in this month, obviously, we've experienced, um, I would call it a dip. No, I wouldn't say a dip. That's very pessimistic. But um, in the level of community ibadah, potentially, there's been a dip because of the lack of taraweeh and, and whatnot. And the community spirit perhaps is not as strong as it, what it was in Ramadan time. And that presents a new, situ- a new problem for us because uh, we've already adjusted ourselves to Ramadan. You know, waking some of us stayed awake till Fajr. Some of us still are trying, struggling to go back to sleep after Isha, uh, i.e. myself. So, um, you know, it's, it presents a new problem for us because how do we then adapt to, uh, you know, keeping up that level of, of, of spirit, of ibadah um, and whatnot. So it does present a lot of problems for us. And alhamdulillah, this is the reason why we have you today, uh, Shaykh Hunan, because um, obviously yourself with the, it doesn't, need, doesn't require an introduction, but for the sake of our listeners who will be listening to this later on, inshallah, it's important to mention, inshallah ta'ala, uh, you know your background, inshallah. So, Sheikh Mustafa Umar. Um, uh, sorry, I don't, you, know, you don't like being called Sheikh, Afwan. Okay. Um, technically, you are a teacher, so I can technically say Ustad. That doesn't make sense because that's something that's you know, you know, you're technically yeah. also Ustad uh, Mustafa Umar is um, a graduate of Islamic University of Medina in Aqida and uh, you are a Shafi'i or you teach Shafi'i fiqh. Sorry. Uh, and mashallah tabarakallah, you have just completed, I believe, your master's in uh, Islamic studies. Is that from Malaysia, right? No, no, no. Not in Malaysia, in the UK here. In the UK, UK mashallah tabarakallah. Yeah. In Islamic studies, mashallah. Cambridge, okay, mashallah tabarakallah. And, and Sheikh Mustafa, this is a really big problem for a lot of brothers. Uh, and alhamdulillah, I'm connected with my community. And we talk about these topics a lot. Specifically when it comes to the, the, the shawal, how can we maintain... Uh, how how can we face that post Ramadan dip? What what advice would you give generally to start that off? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah. Jazakallah khair for inviting me on to the show today. Um, honestly, post Ramadan blues is a real thing. So it's something that does exist. And uh, it's quite difficult to make the adjustment straight from Ramadan into Shawal because obviously, especially during the last 10 nights of Ramadan, people are often going to be on a, on a, on a high. Uh, most people have 
I would have prepared well in advance to the last 10 nights of Ramadan. So they would have put extra, they would have put a huge amount of uh, precautions. They would have put in a huge amount of effort. They would have uh, put in a lot of work in order to make sure that they gain as much as possible from those 10 nights. Then you have Eid where there's no fasting and everything kind of takes a dip from there, which is one of the wisdoms as to why the Prophet wasallam he mentions in an authentic hadith that Ramadan should be followed by six days of shawal. So kind of to continue that momentum. Uh, so pretty much... Uh, I mean, it is something that exists. Uh, and since we know that through experience and not just through uh, something that we often hear about, but through experience also that it's a time where people kind of do dip down and go back to their normal lives. And they kind of go back to, unfortunately, many times to their previous habits or their previous routines, if they were not, if they were not productive routines, then we should kind of make amends and make sure that we kind of take away from, from Ramadan that which we would be able to continue and build up on after Ramadan. I mean, this also kind of brings about the importance of what Ramadan serves. Ramadan is a gift. Ramadan is there in order to facilitate us to do good deeds. Therefore, our responsibility is to kind of make sure that there is a level of continuum after Ramadan comes to an end. And that's not to say that everybody should do every single thing that you were doing on Ramadan. It's very difficult for somebody to continue doing everything that they were doing because remember Ramadan combines elements of fasting, combines elements of prayer, combines a lot of you know sadaqa charity. So it's it's a it's a month of so much generosity and so much khair and so much goodness. But somebody who I would advise is at least take something that you are good at that you feel like you prospered a lot in during the month of Ramadan. Like say, for example, if the prayer was something which was quite easy for you to do, then take that outside with you during, meaning when Ramadan comes to an end, try and build up on that, inshallah, and make sure you at least pray some of the qiyam after Ramadan. If fasting became, it was something quite easy for you, then make sure that you build on that also, but make sure that you try and make sure you fulfill some of the extra optional fasting, or you fulfill some of the extra optional fastings during, uh, during uh, the rest of the year. So like the Mondays and the Thursdays, for example, the three month, the three days of the month uh, in which fasting is legislated in the Sharia. Uh, if, for example, you found yourself to be more generous during the month of Ramadan, mashallah, you were giving so much sadaqah. In those circumstances, and I would always advise that maybe it would be good, inshallah, that you make sure that you have a monthly stipend that you give every month or weekly, something that you know that you can commit to and then give something in sadaqah uh, that you know on a regular basis the whole point is that there should be a level of continuity that's the wisdom and remember that it's not really the amount quantity has never been something that the sharia looks into too much nor is it something that the sharia cares too much about but it's the quality and it's the intention prophet ﷺ mentioned and it's in the prophetic traditions that the, the most beloved action to allah is that which is continuous uh, even if it's small as the hadith mentioned so let there be a continuation and build on that inshallah and make it something regular and then a person would see that the post Ramadan blues isn't really as bad as it can be once Ramadan comes to an end and that's I mean I'm speaking also through my own personal experience might be quite subjective um, 
but that's really something that I've seen is that once Ramadan comes to an end, if I kind of make sure that I focus on something that I feel like I was good at, uh, then it kind of makes it much easier for me to continue that trend or that tradition even after Ramadan comes to an end. Uh, but I was going to ask you one question. You mentioned something that uh, once Ramadan has finished, usually uh, people go back to their normal lives, right? Which makes sense because, for example, a lot of people took time off work, especially in the last 10 nights, so that they could facilitate for Qiyam al-Layl, sorry, Layl um, al-Qadr. And people often sacrifice a lot of their spare time that they would go towards gym, for example, or whatever, and they would use that time for ibadah. But then Ramadan comes, they take that sacrifice. And after Ramadan, they almost celebrate it. Sometimes, not all of everyone, of course, but some people celebrate it. Like, finally, yeah. I come back to the gym. Finally, I go back to this. Finally, I go back to that. Yeah. What, how, how should we perceive this sort of way of looking at Ramadan in that sense? Because from what I'm gathering, from what you've been saying, that Ramadan, Islam continues after Ramadan. And, and how, how should we approach this issue? In terms of how we perceive Ramadan Is it something that we should obviously exert all effort towards And then take a break and then celebrate And then just move on Or how should we perceive it inshallah I mean the way I, I see it is that Ramadan should be perceived As a month that facilitates you to be able to do a huge amount of good deeds And you are able to reap okay, all of the benefits in this month In order for you to take and preserve with you For the rest of the year that's how Ramadan should be. So it kind of should be like a pit stop where you fill your tank, uh, you put in the petrol or the diesel, and you move on for the rest of the year, for the rest of your journey. And Ramadan combines almost so, combines a huge element or so many different aspects of worship. And like I said, I mean, it's not really about Ramadan. People often assume that Ramadan is about Ramadan. I'm not too fussed about people celebrating when Ramadan comes to an end because even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the day of Eid when, when, when the fasting is broken, people are supposed to be very happy. Then you praise Allah that He guided you. You finish the days. You finish the days of fasting and then time of celebration comes. Uh, you glorify Allah because He enabled you to witness the, the culmination of a great month of worship. The only time that I would see that that would be a negative and not a positive is if somebody did not benefit from that Ramadan. So this entails a huge amount of understanding as to what Ramadan is. Unfortunately, many Muslims don't even understand the importance and the significance of Ramadan. So if that's the case, how would anybody how would how would they be able to benefit from Ramadan? And if they don't benefit from Ramadan, would after Ramadan be any would would after Ramadan make any difference to Ramadan itself? Remember that the vast majority of people, unfortunately, aren't really in the masajid. Remember that we've been going through a situation in which there's been COVID, so the masajid have already been struggling anyway. The way I would see it, and the way I would put it, is Ramadan is a month that facilitates all of the good deeds for you. Take from it what is easy for you to do and make that something that you build on after Ramadan comes to an end. And we have to, I have to kind of, you know, sometimes many of us, we romanticize a lot of the stories of the early Muslims, uh, the Salaf. We read their stories and we're quite amazed and we're perplexed as to how much acts of worship that they used to do. But sometimes that could be a double-edged sword. 
in the sense, in the sense that if a person living today reads a lot of these stories and sees that they can't ever imitate many of what these stories are telling us, they automatically start assuming that they are not worthy of anything and they can't do anything like that. Then they shouldn't even bother at all. But times are different and the situation and the circumstances are unique to everybody. Everybody's circumstances are unique to them. So the best thing would be, I mean, Khalid bin al-Walid was a great person in, the, in Islamic history, but he has his place. His stories are well known in Islamic military history. When it comes to, you don't quote Khalid bin al-Walid when it comes to ilm or shar'i, or when it comes to issues like fiqh or anything like that, because every single person, the Prophet understood that every single person has his place. When it comes to uh, Hassan bin Thabit, he was not somebody who was inclined towards military service in the time of the Prophet but he was somebody who was into education. The Prophet used him appropriately in the place that was most suited for them. So every single person knows what they're good at and what they're not good at. But the way I would always see it is that a person should take from Ramadan. So I'm pretty much kind of, uh, I think I'm kind of pretty much reiterating the point that Ramadan, a person should take from it that which they find their time to have been most productive. A person sometimes finds the fasting very difficult, but they find Qiyam Walayl so easy. So they relish in standing in Qiyam Walayl. Some people, they find the fasting, they don't even notice the fasting, it's very easy for them. But for them, Qiyam Walayl is quite difficult. You find some people, they're able to recite so much of the Quran during the day, but when it comes to other acts of worship, very difficult for them to do every single person is unique and every single person needs to understand what they're good at and let that be their gate of paradise for them so let that be the door of jannah for them and let them go through the gate through that action that they find most easiest for them to do that's in their nature so if somebody is very generous by nature go through the door of sadaqah make sure that after ramadan you make a plan and this obviously involves planning and taking into consideration the fact that, you know, I mean, in any type of business, people would write things down, they would take note and they would do so much in order to make sure that they would make sure that their businesses and all of the everything else that they're doing would be successful. Then what about when it comes to issues pertaining to one's afterlife or akhirah? In those circumstances, a person should make sure that they take note and they put, a, put in a plan as to what they're going to do for the next 11 months. Remember that the early Muslims, you read, for example, the book called Hayat Salaf, it mentions that the, the early Muslims, after Ramadan came to an end for the next six months, they would be making dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept their Ramadan. And when they're six months before Ramadan, when Ramadan is approaching, when there's six months left for, for another Ramadan to approach, they'll be making dua for Allah to enable them to reach the month of Ramadan. So the whole the whole year was pretty much focused on Ramadan. So Ramadan was the highlight of the entire year for all of the Muslims. So Ramadan should be, form a period of time in which a believer is rejuvenated, not only in their Iman, but also in everything that they plan to do for the next coming months after Ramadan comes to an end. So Ramadan isn't really about Ramadan. Everything about Ramadan is pertaining to after Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ so that you become pious people. And piety is not something which is exclusive to Ramadan. It's something that, that is 
with, should be with a person throughout the year. I think that's a really beautiful sentiment that you mentioned at the end. Um, that Ramadan is not for Ramadan itself. Ramadan is for everything else apart from Ramadan in the other uh, other months of the of the year. And I think that if you know when it, when we approach Ramadan, a lot of us um, we we do obviously um, put a lot of effort in towards ibadah, put a lot of effort in towards certain acts of ibadah, and. The intention or the mindset should be that after Ramadan, based on what you're saying, Shaykhuna, is that we need to also look at keeping up the good deeds that were that were easy for us during that time. Um, I think I think that's really that's really that's a very practical way of looking at it because a lot of the times um, you do look at the statements of the Salaf and you can, you know, you sit there like, wow, and how could you do that? You know, like finishing the Quran between, you know, let's say or Asr or something like that. You know, you hear crazy statements like that. Uh, and 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 you think to yourself, well, Subhanallah, how could I even consider myself even close to them? But the practical element of doing something that's easy for you means that you're already good at it to a certain level, and you prefer doing it. It's not hard. Yeah. Like for me, yeah. I'd, fasting is not my forte. Fasting I find very difficult, uh, and I know that some of the Sahabi, one of them, I think, was either Abdullah Mas- Ibn Mas'ud or Ibn Abbas. I'm not too sure. Uh, they one of them found it difficult to fast, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, for them because it took them away from uh, something else. I can't remember what exactly it was, but I understand that everyone has their own challenges and their own struggles. Some people are really good at qiyamul lay. Some people are really really good at giving charity. I work with a lot of brothers that they they are just experts in just all these charitable projects, and they're constantly doing this stuff. And I'm I'm honestly in awe of what they do, but I don't have that capacity. I don't have that sort of mindset. So alhamdulillah, I do appreciate that sort of practical nuance of looking at how. To optimize your ibadah given your preferences and not just your preferences but what's yeah. easy for you to do that's of khair yeah. um but yeah. yeah um i was gonna ask you actually you know um for the post ramadan blues to summarize what you're saying basically post ramadan blues is something that um we shouldn't look at like that in aslan we shouldn't even look at that originally like the idea of there being a, a, you know a, a stamp or something that you know you drop because the ramadan to have existed itself is for you to then Take it upon you to then continue and improve, right? So I think that even the title itself that we decided to use isn't suitable for what you're what you're saying, which is actually very important. Alhamdulillah, very important for our listeners who are new to listening, mashallah, to 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 hear that. But I was going to ask you actually, you know, when it comes to this idea of consistency, thabat, right? Uh, and often, often people uh, trivialize this, not trivialize it, but we, we make it sound so complicated and technical and and whatnot. But how can we understand consistency? In light of this uh, continuing for Ramadan, uh, from you know spiritual aspects, and is it is it a practical? Is it also theoretical? I mean, how should we understand the bet? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Honestly, when we speak about consistency or thabat or uh, being in a state of or having ithabat on anything. Uh, often, sometimes we get we delve too much into the technical side of things or the theoretical side of things that we kind of lose the understanding of the spirit of what this is supposed to mean. Now, for example, like and I don't want to keep reiterating, but the point that I mentioned earlier about keeping one good deed that somebody is doing. That in of in itself is an act of sabbat, because 
everybody's thabat is going to be subjective to their situation and to their to their to their to their circumstances. Now, say for example, you have somebody who works, uh, you know, five days a week. Uh, they're quite busy working for their family. They don't really have much time during the day. They are preoccupied with so many things, but then they take time off during the month of Ramadan. And during the month of Ramadan, let's say, for example, they had that spiritual uh, upliftment. And now at the end of Ramadan, they've come to a point in which now they are much more rejuvenated. They have much more energy to be able to, they have much more willingness and they have much, they've kind of adapted to, be, to, to, to praying during the night, to fasting during the day. And he knows or she knows that after Ramadan comes to an end, they are going to be starting their normal timetable all over again. So they're going to be going back to the to the to the to the you know to the to the to grinding again back at work five days a week again, nine to five. So for a person who's in those kind of circumstances, is it practical for us then to tell them that Thabat for you? Means that you have to pray Qiyam knowing that this person is going to be waking up 7am in the morning the next day Which is what often kind of happens when we listen to many of the lectures that we find on YouTube Or sometimes much of the advice that is available to us uh, you, know, uh, you, know, uh, you know, from our imams or our local leaders So depending on what Thabat is for everybody's situation and everybody's circumstance That's what needs to be taken into consideration For a person who has this kind of schedule that they can't break from for them, thabat would be that, you know what, during the time in which you are at work, is it easy for you to fast on the Mondays and the Thursdays? Yeah, it's, for this person, it's very easy. They found Ramadan very easy for them to fast. Then let's say, why don't you make a program when you are at work, inshallah, during the week, or Monday, the Mondays and the Thursdays, why don't you fast on those days? Mondays and Thursdays might be too difficult for me. No problem. What about the three days? So the fasting is easy for you, right? Excellent. Three days in the month, inshallah, every single month. That's your new, that's your new productive uh, acts of worship, inshallah, that you are going to be committed to after Ramadan. And that's thabat for you. What is thabat for somebody like me? I'll tell you a story of one of the uh, one of our teachers in Medina. Um, he said to us once during a private gathering, he said. Allah, and this is something that he told us in a private gathering. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't, I don't have much energy. My capacity doesn't allow me to be able to fast a lot of days, nor to be able to pray much of the nights. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me with is an unending amount of energy to teach. So that's where I am going to focus my efforts on because that's what I know that I can do. And he's a teacher and he's a sheikh. So he's somebody who understood what he can do and he understood his limitations. Once somebody understands what they can do and they understand their limitations, that's when they can become productive because they're able to focus on that which they can do. Say for example, somebody isn't working that five to you know the the the, the Mondays to the, to Fridays nine to, to five, or say for example somebody is working but they 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 have a they have a they have a they have a much free time. This person found it very rejuvenating learning much of the Quran during Ramadan, and they when they were praying behind the Imam, 
they found that the Quran had a huge impact on their hearts. This person now wants to learn the Quran. Let your thabat be you going and making a resolution after Ramadan to learn the Quran. That is your thabat for you. A person, like you mentioned, you have many friends who work in charity. They might not be, you mentioned they might not be people, you know, that might be their thing. They might not be, they might not be able to pray so much Qiyamul Layl. They might not be able to recite so much Quran. They might not be able, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them a huge amount of generosity in their hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the virtues of sadaqah so many times. Their thabat would be in what they are best in doing. So sadaqah for them, having a program, a resolution in which they commit themselves to not just working in the field, but to also being somebody who's an active, uh, somebody who's actively giving something from their own pocket. And that's how you gain taqwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّةِ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَا تُحِبُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you will never reach true piety unless you are ready to part ways with what you love the most. So giving away that which is dear to you, that's something which is very difficult. But for some people, that might be something easy. That's their door and that's their thabat for them. So really, uh, on, nowadays when we, theor- when we, when we kind of... M- bring about too many te- technicalities into thabat, we kind of make it into something which is uniform, one single thing or one single concept that's given to every single person and that's supposed to fit every single person. And it's already predefined. So you assume that thabat only means one thing, but that's not really the case. Thabat is something that means different things to different people depending on their circumstance. So thabat, that's how we should understand it. And by the way, should I guilt somebody simply because of the fact that they can't pray Qiyam or they're finding it difficult? Should somebody be guilted because they can't seem to recite the Quran properly even though they've tried many times? Should somebody... Or should their talents be exploited and highlighted? And the door of thabat be applied to those situations and those circumstances in which they're good at, rather than focusing on those issues that they are not so good at. Because remember, we're human beings, we all have our limitations. There are certain things that I'm able to do that you probably would not be able to do. And there are certainly things that you're able to do that I'm probably not never be able to do. And that's where we complement each other as believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the Prophet said, the believers are what? The believers are like one body You know, they strengthen one another So that's how we kind of Need to look at the whole concept of thabat So the whole concept of steadfastness Is being steadfast In that which pertains to your situation To your circumstances So long as you take something away The only person I feel would be blameworthy Is somebody who doesn't do anything at all So the Ramadan has come Ramadan has gone and this person hasn't really benefited in anything whatsoever. That's the person I would probably say would be blameworthy. But I would think if somebody did something and somebody maintained some level of steadfastness in the sense that they are praying five times a day, 
and on top of that they're fulfilling their other obligations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated, obligated upon them and they are doing an act of worship which is easy for them to do I think that is steadfastness in of in itself and I think that's something that people should be congratulated on if they can do even that remember we're living in times of tribulation we're living in times where people are having a crisis in their faith we're living in times where people are are you expecting people to become like the Salaf when people are doubting God himself you see that's the kind of times we're living in today so I always opt it's just I mean, I always opt for saying, tell, trying to make things easy for everybody. I remember my teachers used to always say to tell us, don't make things difficult, you know, and don't make people hopeless. Once you make, once you put people in a state of hopelessness, they'll just say, you know what, to hell with everything. I can't do this. It's too difficult for me. And that's when you lose somebody. So yeah. Barakallah fikum. Subhanallah. I think. Uh, I think it's really nice how you mentioned that, you know, to make things easy for people, not make it difficult for them, like to like make things easy for them, and and also reminded me. I know this is a different word, um, and istiqama. Uh, you know, for example, when the Prophet says, "Sallallahu um, alaihi wasallam," says, uh, uh, and then be steadfast, and it's like it's left open. Is like it's not istiqim, uh, but what is istiqim generally like, and and. Uh, or in the Quran it says, uh, you know, and be steadfast. Or in the Quran it says, "Fastabiq khairat." Um, fil khairat. Like there's this concept of, of of vastness in terms of what is actually you're good at within that vastness, and then going towards it. But then I have another question, follow up question regarding that because I feel like um, I feel like with with wisdom, we can look at things that in a different way. Like for example, like if I'm not praying five times a day. But I'm really good at giving charity. Then maybe it's better for me to perfect my five daily prayers, as well, if not all before. Um, and I think going by the nature of our communities, you mentioned a really good point. And this is why the reasons why I respect uh, people who look at the hal of the people, you know, and understand the nature of the people in their respective positions. Because atheism or disbelieving on Subhanahu Taala or, or um, you know forms of shirk. It's very common in in some places, and it's challenging. It's challenging our Muslims, um, especially atheism, uh, especially our young Muslims. I, we've all got relatives, or know of people who've got relatives that have left Islam, and they're twenty or fifteen or sixteen. You know, it's very common for me, and it's common for a lot of people, my friends. So, perhaps the people that have found that spiritual element of Islam during this month of Ramadan, and then to go back to community isolation. Because for them, then they face the isolation aspect of even the Muslim community. They don't feel comfortable in the Muslim community. How can we then uh, advise them? How do we then approach them to to look at the whole concept of consistency? Because for them, a lot of things are important that they have to work on. And what would your advice be on that, inshallah? You mentioned a really important point. I mean, what does steadfastness even mean for somebody who doesn't even pray? What does steadfastness means for some, what does steadfastness mean for somebody who is struggling in their faith? You know, it, uh, I mean, look at the state of our masajid. Look at the state of our communities. What are we truly? What are we truly offering people? Uh, many a times, when a lot of these youngsters come into the mosque or into the masajid, they're very they feel very ostracized. They don't feel welcome. 
they don't feel like they can connect with 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 practicing people many of them leave simply because of the fact that they think that we are too judgmental and we are very very much judgmental so uh, how, how is it today? I mean, I remember a situation in which in a, a masjid that I was in not too long ago, in which there was a young woman, she became Muslim, and she came, obviously, she's a very new Muslim, and she wasn't wearing the hijab as of yet. She came into the masjid, and you know, everybody was just kind of staring at her, saying, A'udhu Billah, what's this, and all of that kind of stuff, and all of that, which I mean, if you look at it in hindsight, that's really a very unwise thing to do. So that doesn't really want to make you, it doesn't really want to make you want to be a part of the Muslim community. Because if you feel like you're going to be ostracized, what is thabat for a person like this? This person is, is a new Muslim, or this person is struggling in their faith, or this person is struggling with their prayers. Let them focus on those issues which are the obligation. That's why the Prophet وسلم, when somebody came to him to 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 the Prophet was very lenient. He was very, very he wanted to make things so easy for some. When somebody came to him about Islam, inquiring about Islam, and he said, I become Muslim, and then he said, I'm not going to do anything more than the mere obligation that you said. The Prophet said he does so, he's successful. Another person came, and there are narrations that mention this. And it's in Abu Dawood. A person came and said, We are, you know, we don't pray, I can't pray Fajr until the sun rises. I just can't do it. The Rasulullah knew his condition, said to him, You know what? Just pray when you wake up. Just pray. What is the wisdom behind this? Well, let's go back to the wisdom. The wisdom is taking into consideration that when a person is in a state in which they are at a level, where they are not very committed or there are a point in which they don't have that spiritual elevation that you are on thabat for them could mean or istiqamah for them could mean just fulfilling the bare minimum the mere obligations which is why the prophet وسلم, when he sent mu'ad to yemen he said to him call them to islam if they accept that fa'alimhum anna allah aftarada alayhim khamsa salawatin fi kulli yawmin wa layla just tell them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated, obligated upon them just the five daily prayers. That's it. The mere minimum. Prophet is telling them the minimum obligations. And then after that, if they if they do that, then let them know that there's a type of charity. And this is only pertaining to the rich amongst them. It's not even it's not relative to, to people who are probably the majority, which is the majority of the people who are poor. So only applicable to those who have a lot of wealth in society that there's a certain amount of wealth that they need to give in annually as sadaqah i.e. what we call as zakah and that's their Islam and that's how easy the Prophet made it there was not too many expectations nobody was telling them you know you have to do this you have to do that you have to go there you have to go this you have to perform this you have to perform that stop this stop that which is something which is quite common nowadays so the, the, the point I'm making is istiqama for somebody who's not even praying the five daily prayers, those people who are having a, uh, somebody who's having a crisis in faith, bringing them back to the masjid first and foremost, 
or opening their minds to the concept that, you know what, whatever situation you're in, you're more than welcome. Just come in, inshallah, and be welcome amongst us. We're not going to judge you. That in of in itself is an act of istiqama because you're bringing somebody back into the community who otherwise would have left. And you've thrown them to, you know, down the well. So istiqama, people often assume that istiqama, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَا اللَّهِ ثُمَّ استقاموا. Very general, it's a universal concept. Any type of good deed that you do and that you're, 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 you're well at doing that good deed and you perform it and you make it something that you do regularly and it's something that you're resolute in doing, that's something that you have istiqama for. And the ulama, they used to say in the past, anwa'ul khair la tintahi. So they would say things like that the doors of good never come to an end. There's so much that you can do. But one thing that's a fact is that you can't do everything. That's a fact. So that means the minimum obligations, doing what you can do, and not turning other people away, I believe is the best type of istiqama. Because istiqama could also be general and not just exclusive to you and not particular to you. Particularly your own act of worship that you do personally, that's between you and Allah. But your responsibility towards your community is one in which you keep it intact. Your responsibility to the community is that you make other Muslims feel that they are still Muslim. That we don't excommunicate people from our community very easily. Who are you excommunicating them to? All you're doing is you're just adding other, you're just adding numbers to other people, and taking away from what could potentially be somebody who's beneficial to us. So we have to look at it, or we have to kind of look at it in that way. And I think that's one of the problems that we have today. So istiqama is something often people understand to be very personal. It's between me and Allah, and it's something that I do personally, but we don't take into consideration often the collective. And we don't take into consideration the responsibilities that we have towards other Muslims and the responsibilities that we have towards our community. The hadith of the Prophet said, There's a famous hadith in, in Sahih Muslim. So, this is something which is very important, and istiqama is something that pretty much delves into something much greater and it taps into something much greater than just personal a personal act of worship between you and Allah Barakallahu So with regards to that actually it was quite interesting because there is an element of community even within the consistency and I think that um Ramadan, one of the reasons why Ramadan is so special for a lot of people culturally speaking Because we have to look at it from culture now Is that you're around other Muslims And there is this hype, there is this, you know, taraweeh is People giving out water, even something small like that It's very, it's very nice feeling, you know, when you get given water bottles like that like It's sort of like love you feel And we know the hadith, alaykum bil like for example, also says you No, know, you know, be with each other in the jama'ah, like you know, take take upon yourselves to be with the jama'ah. Um, upon you is the jama'ah, and so like it's important us for us to 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 stick together. But you know, Ramadan, uh, a lot of people look forward to Ramadan because of this social aspect. 
really that that is the ultimate. I know a lot of Muslims that come to the masjid or they come to the prayer for Tarawih and they come for Fajr as well because they love that they love environment. Everyone's feeling that Ramadan vibe, and then all of a sudden it's just like you don't have that anymore. The people person who would lead Tarawih, he's not there. He's from a different city or different town. Yeah. The people that the uncles that would attend and, and they would make so much noise and there's you know it's that feeling of that vibe of Ramadan is no longer there. And then you just go there, it's like you feel you feel an uh, essence of element of es- uh, en- um, emptiness. Sorry, you feel element of emptiness, and you feel like that jama'ah is not there anymore for me. The one that was there to give me that water bottle is no longer there. And, and you might think, well, that's a bit trivial for you know me to mention, but a lot of people culture because we're looking at it from a cultural perspective here. We're not looking from a consistency is an Islamic concept, but we're looking at it from like someone who's just gone to Ramadan, and then he feels like oh, I feel like something's missing. I mean, from that perspective then, from that perspective culturally, how do we then tackle that situation? Because for them, regardless of, they, they understand the concept of thabat, but they feel as though this social convention of Ramadan, this social aspect of Ramadan is no longer there. How can we re, how can we keep that social aspect alive within ourselves? That's a very that's deep a, question. That's a, that's a very good question and it's a deep question, you're right. But I just want to quickly mention, you know, something quite interesting about you made a point about giving away water bottles, which is really, I mean, there's that social social cohesion, that kind of friendly environment during Ramadan. I remember once when I was the first Hajj that I ever performed, um, it was such a difficult Hajj for me. Uh, I I wasn't I wasn't I didn't have any accommodation, no tent, so I was out on the streets literally. So I was I was I didn't have a place to stay. I was doing the Hajj, you could say raw. And I remember during the end of the Hajj or during the end of my Hajj, um, one police officer came over and gave me a bottle of water. And just that consideration meant so much to me that that was more beloved to me than somebody giving me 500 pounds or a thousand pounds. And I'm not exaggerating because at that time, only Allah knew my situation. But just the understanding that there are people who are there to kind of, you know, I, I understand, you know, hey, have something, you know, may Allah, and, and a small dua like, Barakallah fiqh for your efforts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from you. We often forget that loneliness is sometimes a real thing. I mean, can you believe that in the UK there's a whole ministry of, you know, that deals with loneliness? If you look at some of the statistics, you'd be really shocked at how many people don't have anyone in this world. When they were talking about the COVID situation, and this kind of, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to bring it back to the main point, inshallah. How many people on their deathbeds they didn't have anybody beside them or beside them or near them. They were even talking about it in the newspapers that they were going to make was a, a type of uh, like a protestic, like a kind of uh, like a robotic hand that gestures that would serve as a gesture to somebody to make them feel that there is somebody there when they're unconscious. And they're in their last moments. So we're talking about a situation where we're social beings as human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to be people who give strength to each other. So 
that social aspect is something which is very important Islamically, which goes back to the whole point of jama'ah. There's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated the congregational prayer as opposed to individual prayer. When we perform Ramadan, we perform it at the same time. The whole concept of hajj, the whole concept of zakah, giving to other people because we're an entire community, we're all one. So if there's somebody suffering in the community, there are other people who are supposed to be to take, take that responsibility in terms of finance and money and wealth. So that redistribution of wealth is something that is mentioned in the Qur'an. So the whole aspect of social cohesion and the whole aspect of, be, of you know, having that social element is something which is very important. And honestly, it's one of the most difficult things when it comes to people who are practicing Especially after the month of Ramadan, after the month of Ramadan comes to an end, and you don't get, you don't see the similar faces, or you don't see the same faces in Ramadan. You don't after Ramadan, sorry, you don't see the same people that you used to see. You don't see the the vibe is completely gone. The community is not as vibrant as it was. What do you think that's going to do to somebody who had a momentary high in Ramadan? Meaning before Ramadan. They weren't really doing well anyway But during Ramadan they had such a good time And it was such a good introduction To Islam To Salah To you know the Jama'ah Brothers, sisters and all of that But then after Ramadan All of that quickly disappears Most likely Most often they're not They're just going to go They, they, they themselves are going to go back to the way that they were before And which is why As Masajid the Muslim community generally speaking And this is a responsibility on many of the masajid Is that I do apologize for the noise So there is some noise in the background um, The responsibility of the masajid Is that they try and attempt To facilitate the masjid to be a place Where the youngsters can, 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 can stay And can feel comfortable Because one of the biggest problems today that exist Is that many of the masajid Unfortunately are operated by people uh, I'm not generalizing I'm just saying there's quite a few Many there are many masajid which are mashallah amazing But there are some masajid that are Unfortunately Operated in a way that's not welcoming to young people That's not welcoming to people You know who, who are not from the same Community as they are Who are not from the same I don't know maybe ethnic group that they are Who are not from the same background uh, That they're from So they don't really cater to many other people So it makes things much more difficult so the masajid plays a huge role. The whole point in why, why do you think that was the first thing that the Prophet ﷺ built when he came to Medina? When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to, to Medina and he found and, and, and he first settled down, the first major project in which he undertook was to build a masjid. Because that doesn't only serve as a place of worship, but it also serves as a community center. To a place where all of the Muslims are welcome. Everyone in the community, even the non-Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ used to use the masjid as a place in which the non-Muslims were also welcome. When the Christians came from Najran as a delegation to the Prophet ﷺ, where did they go? It was the masjid. When the Prophet ﷺ, when there was a, a celebration that took place in Medina, in which people were celebrating a, a cultural festival. Imagine this, by the way. The this is a hadith in Bukhari even. We're talking about, I, I want the implications to be heard. Imagine a cultural festival being held in the Prophet's masjid with Prophet's permission. 
So that goes to show you that the masjid didn't only serve as a place where you come and you pray your five daily prayers, but it was supposed to be a place where everyone in the community comes and they connect with each other. So that's, and that's the only way that that social fabric can be strengthened. If you ever want to see people being in a high state of Iman all the time, that's always going to be correlated with what? With an activity happening in the masjid. With the masjid being active. With the masjid being open. With the masjid being more cohesive. With the masjids being more inclusive. And that's one of the biggest issues and problems that we have today. In recent times, we can talk about COVID. And we can talk about so many different things. But this is something that also used to exist before COVID. We had all of these problems before COVID. We had all of these issues coming for a long, happening for a long time now. So strengthening the, the masajid, opening up the masajid, making the masajid a center again, that not only caters to the prayers and encloses again, but something that's more open to that, something which includes and involves the entire community, both Muslim and non-Muslim. Only then I believe, wallahu a'lam, that it would be a place where people could come and people could feel could be could feel much more benefited. I think the take mes- take uh, the message take from that is that, for example, those that attend the message already, for them it's important to perhaps consider perhaps consider if you can give something back to that message, uh, whether it be a class or whether it be a reminder session or whatever it be some sort of a like youth program, whatever it could be that you could change someone's life or for the people that attended in Ramadan, for example, and they can't they don't attend anymore. How do we get them back? Obviously, I work in marketing and, and sales, and so like, you know, you could consider them leads, if anything. You know, that they were there and then they're not there. How do we get that, that that lead back? How do we regenerate that lead? Which is a very uh, you know inhumane way of looking at it, but the point still stands is that the essence of of helping someone get them back onto the the jama'ah, back with the masajid, and I feel like you know, um, I feel like that's a really good way of looking at. Post Ramadan blues. I know we didn't we we discussed already that the nuance behind that, but the idea of helping the community so that it's alive, the masjid is alive outside Ramadan, is really important because people come for Tarawih anyway. They come because they want to see their friends. They want to hear the recital that's come from a different city. They they you know it's, it's, it's you have to understand culturally, it's huge culturally. Okay, uh, we know Islam exists as a religion as a deen, and it just exists as a culture as well simultaneously. And that culture is what people usually go by People that haven't studied Islam Or haven't gone through the process of learning Islam For them it's the culture that sticks out And so I feel like What you've mentioned inshallah ta'ala Is that we should help the community And help uh, give that life to These areas of the of the message so that, that post-Ramadan dip It doesn't seem so you know, problematic And I think there are some youth projects That I've been following A lot of brothers that I've that I know are into this stuff and alhamdulillah I'm in that sort of scene as well. I can see some you know, some of them I've really internalized that. That this this whole idea of the jama'ah is all throughout the whole year. You know, it doesn't it doesn't stop. Uh, you know, and some of your fellow students that is colleagues that you went to university yeah. with, they all they've done these projects, mashallah, Lewisham, mashallah, a lot of people that I look towards with huge uh, with huge veneration because of what they've done and how they've interpreted and understood the concept of of the jama'ah and helping these young people, mashallah. So, yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really good. Actually, I'm glad we touched that, touched that topic, because 
cultural Islam is very prominent and people only look at Islam culturally, majority of people. And mm. we have to understand how can we then use that to bring them to the masajid. What does culture even mean? I mean, culture is is mm. is, is 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 like it, it's it's something. It's a tradition that is established through coll mm. through collectivity. That's all that it is. Sometimes people often condemn things that they don't understand, uh, and they don't and 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 the implications of that is always very bad because, uh, you know, it kind of uh, you kind of close so many doors, uh, and you kind of uh, you know you don't give space or room. To something which is potentially good, I mean the whole aspect of coming together and you know, you know, uh, appreciating each other's efforts, and you know, all of that 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 can all be defined as culture. Culturally, Islam is something that's supposed to be something that brings people together. It's supposed to be something uh, that takes into consideration the collective. And that's often more important than the individual because remember, I mean, in, in, in Imam Ghazali, he mentions in his book, in his Ihya, he says, and, he, and not just him, many of the other scholars also mention it, that when it comes to praying your nawafil or your optional sunnah prayers, because that could never be on the same level as learning the knowledge or studying Islam. Because when you study Islam, and you are teaching, then the collective benefits. Whereas when you put your head on the ground and you worship Allah, that's something which is very personal to you and only you benefit. So the idea of the collective being superior to the individual is something which forms the basis of our entire religion. Taking into consideration the other and not just myself. The whole act of zakah is that. If I pay zakah, who am I paying? It's not, I'm not going to benefit. I'm not taking, I will benefit, of course. But that's more of a spiritual element of benefit. When I give my money away and give it to sadaqah, I give it to somebody who's less well off than me. Then I'm taking into consideration somebody else that's not me. So that's the idea again of the collective. When, we, when, when, when you have a state that governs, or when you have a situation, for example, when you have qada, the whole idea of even reconciliation, doing sulh, that's a, that's a benefit for the collective because when two people are in a dispute with each other, that affects the community. So if that if that has a disparaging impact on the community, then the community is fragmented. And if the community is fragmented, then you don't have social cohesion. If you don't have social cohesion, then it's chaos. And you lose the whole fabric of the jama'ah. That's why the Prophet made it a point that pe and encouraged والسلام, people to mm. come to the masjid and to also resolve all of their issues in the masjid. Mm. You know, I was also going to mention as well because of the fact that a lot of these um, people are already isolated from society. A lot of them feel like that. Whether that's right or wrong is a different matter. But the fact is, a lot of them feel isolated naturally because of whether it's foreign policy or whether just culturally they haven't fit in, they don't fit into the norms of. Of, of certain areas and then to feel as though they're isolated from the Muslims or isolated from their own people it adds to that it compounds and so when I when you discuss that when when I think of this post Ramadan situation for me it's actually very concerning it's a very big thing hmm. it's a very big problem and uh, not a problem as such but it's 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 of concern because 
for me, it's like I see people that I haven't seen for a very long time, and then they go away. And then I think to myself, what are they doing to help them with the iman? Mm. What are they doing? Perhaps they have other reasons why they're not there. For what Allah is best, mm. just mm. like how I don't have reasons to attend every jamaat. Sometimes I'm in other different places and stuff. But mm. the point still stands is that the fact that they came in the Ramadan and now they're not there, there's still concern. And mm. we have to understand living in this area, living in the West, living with. You're bound to find whatever you go on the internet. You'll find your community. You'll find it whether it's on Reddit, whether it's on uh, these fringe sort of community pages that have certain, you know, like like um, certain uh, preferences. I forgot. I don't know. Like for example, like anime, what you call viewpoints and stuff like. Not that. just that. Like for example, a lot of people watch anime, and a lot of people are into the anime culture. For example. But the problem is, if they watch anime, which is which is let's just say okay, yeah. fine, you watch anime. You do this, you do that. Why would they want to come to the masjid if you're just going to judge them and make them feel uncomfortable? They can't even say their reality. They don't feel mm. comfortable with saying their reality. If we, you know, as soon as they come in the mosque, all we ever do is say, you know, oh, haram this, haram that, you know, yeah, this, yeah, that. How could you, mm. what is this? What are you doing? Fear Allah, all of that kind of stuff. So mm. this person's going to feel like, you know what, this ain't my place. I, mm. I you know, you know, I do. I mean, I wish and I aspire to be like all of you. MashaAllah, you guys are good. You know, you have your beds, you have your thobes and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. But honestly, I, I don't know if I could do that. Then you put them, then you really put this person in a really tight spot. Mm. They feel like so they're they're in a they're on a they're on a cliff edge. They don't know what, what to do at that point. They don't feel like they can ever they, it'll take them a while to ever be on whatever you're on. Mm. And at the same time, they acknowledge and recognize that you know what. I know my situation and I know what I what I'm into is very difficult for me to kind of give up on what I'm doing. Why are you why are we surprised then that these people don't come to the masjid? When exactly. the masjid is only going to be a place where they're going to be judged and they're going to be told that everything everything that you're doing is wrong. And but the thing is you see? the absence of the absence of the masjid though it makes them want to find if they find a community elsewhere whether it's on Reddit or whatever you know and gaming there's there's all this like gaming stuff. There's Twitch. There's Discord. At least let and them be gamers in the masjid. What's the problem? Exactly, but be... exactly. That's the, that, yeah. that, that's the, but that's the, that, that's a mindset that needs to be shifted. Definitely. Like let Definitely. them be into the let them be into anime in the masjid. Let mm. them be into you know put on Dragon Ball Z or Naruto or whatever. Mm. You know, or One Piece. Put on put on your you know you like. Call of Duty, put that on, you know, mm. no one's gonna judge you over here. You're into that. So long as it's not something which is explicitly haram and something which mm. uh, we we can judge it to be in, in those circumstances, you know, so long as they're not watching God forbid lap dancing or anything crazy like that, which we consider mm. to be absolutely impermissible. So long as they're not doing something insane like that, which is detrimental to them, mm. then why are we not using the facilities that we have and the buildings that we have to welcome the yeah, I mean. Isn't that what the masjid is supposed to be? Wasn't there a Bedouin in the masjid in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu who walked in and just urinated? Prophet mm. Sallallahu told them, you know what, obviously that's not something that you should do. Yeah. But the Prophet made it clear to the companions that no, you know, what he did was wrong. But there's a simple process of education when it comes to these kind mm. of things. All you need to do is just inform the person that that's not what you do mm. over here. But anything, Prophet Sallallahu imagine the Prophet Sallallahu today, I guarantee you, if the exact same cultural celebration that took place in the time of the Prophet under his auspices were to happen today in any of the other masajid, 
you'd find there to be people who go berserk and people mm. will start saying things like astaghfirullah haram how could this ever happen but mm. it happened during the time of the prophet sallallahu so then should we really complain when masajid themselves have become institutes or they've they've just become shells a building where people just perform a prayer which is a very routine thing that they do and then they leave again so it doesn't really serve anything else except for it to be this place where they where they where they perform which is a good thing there's of course the prayer mm. is an obligation but what else do they do for the community the large majority of the muslims are not in the masajid Sah, what, what have, so what have we done for those types of people Exactly, but they will they be there for Taraweeh. They'll be there for Taraweeh. They'll be there for Taraweeh because they, you know why? The reason why they'll be there for Taraweeh because they know that that's a momentary period and it's a temporary period. So mm. they know that there's going to be a time when they're gonna when Ramadan ends, I'm not gonna be here anymore. The reason why I don't want to be a failure in Ramadan, they're thinking to themselves, you know what? Mm. If I fail in Ramadan, I'm I'm pretty much useless. Am mm. I? Let me not fail in Ramadan. Let me do what I need to do because Ramadan's only what thirty days, and once I'm done with that, I can go back to doing what I'm doing. Because the masjid is not really a place where I can, I, you know, you know, I, I mean, it's not really somewhere that caters to me anyway. That's the way they're thinking. So what we, what we, what we need to do, obviously, when I say we, I'm talking about people who are practicing, you know, quote unquote, whatever that means. Uh, people who are involved in the masajid, people who who have some kind of influence in the masajid, is to make the masajid facilitate for all kinds of Muslims. Not just a particular type of Muslim, which is the Muslim who is only you know the the practicing you know Muslim who's you know goes there and you know he's already you know like a soldier already on his thing everything he knows what he needs to do and everything else and every other person is excluded. Hmm. But I think the masjid. I mean, this is my opinion, and I've had these kind of discussions a lot a lot of times. I think masjid need to be. Places where people feel safe should be like a safe space for mm. every Muslim. Darussalam, of course. That's how. That's that's uh, the only way I feel like there can be a true <clears throat> rejuvenation when it comes to not just post Ramadan blues because these blues exist not just after Ramadan. It's for the entire year. Mm. You know, m- most most people are suffering spiritually. Mm. Even the non-Muslims today. The first time, you know, whenever they're not interested in many of the technicalities or the philosophies and all of that kind of stuff, because they've got their own philosophies and they've got their own stuff, they're interested in spirituality. Mm. Because we live in an extremely materialistic world. We live in a world in which it, it's it's a dog eat dog world. Everybody's out making their money. Nobody has time for each other. People don't even have time for their families anymore. Mm. So 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 money rules the day. And that includes whether you're a sheikh in a masjid or you're, you know, somebody struggling practicing or somebody who's out in the streets. It doesn't make Mm. any difference. How can we use the leverage that we have to make sure that we are welcoming to the Muslims? We make it easier for them to integrate into the masjid. You know, there's this whole topic and debate about integration. What about integrating Muslims into our masjid? The masjid Mm. seems segregated to the point where people, some people just only... Some people don't even feel comfortable praying in the masjid, even just praying there. I remember one young brother came to me and he said to me, you know, I come into the masjid, everybody's just staring at me. <laughs> That's what he said. So, and there's so many people like that. Those kind of people don't really feel, 
they don't really feel that the Muslim community has anything to offer them. Unfortunately. I mean, that would segue into a really, really uh, long topic as well. Mm. The fact that how do the masajid facilitate for this in a in a in a sustainable way? Uh, obviously, um, some of the masajid they've got um, committees, and those committees are, uh, you know, top heavy uh, in decision making and the restrictions in some ways. And then you could also argue that they don't have the finances. Some of them do have the finances, but they don't use the finances well. Some of them do don't have the finances, and they rely upon volunteership, which is actually requires an amir. And amir obviously has to work very hard. So I know one one person very well, mashallah, who's done this, and you know him as well, mashallah. He's done a really good project for the youth, yeah. and a lot of it's based on volunteer volunteership. But as you mentioned, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and for us, we look at, not us in general, but just general people, they look at it in the sense of, is you know, am I going to get paid for this? Or am I going to get a certificate from this? And so the the metric or the the reward system or whatever it is, is based off something like that, something material. Um, so yeah, I, I think generally speaking, because I'll be honest with you, I work, with, I help out with my local community, and we do have, you know, I've looked into this uh, problem, and I feel like this is one of the biggest issues after Ramadan that I think a lot of masajid uh, and a lot of youth programs and communities should, you know, look into. How do we keep these people that have attended Tarawih, attended the Jama'ah? How do we keep them in check? How do we keep keep them motivated? Um, Sheikhana, I have one more uh, question for you actually Generally this topic, the bet, right and, and the context of it being in this place right now Which is near the end of Shawwal Obviously the months of Hajj uh, are, are coming as well If not already started How do we understand then uh, You know, this What we've discussed already today inshallah And what would your, be your last wasila Would be for, for this In terms of, you know, the summary of today inshallah So Just uh, to kind of Conclude pretty much the discussion The doors of Khair are always open Ramadan isn't the only Month of fasting Fasting continues Outside and after Ramadan Charity, Sadaqah Continues after Ramadan Prayer continues after Ramadan Qiyam continues after Ramadan And everything that a person does in Ramadan Is also legislated after Ramadan In fact, just like I mentioned in the beginning Uh of our discussion, the Prophet ﷺ legislated the six days of Shawwal to be complementary, not just complementary to Ramadan, but to be something which keeps up the momentum so a person can easily continue after Ramadan. Also, the months of Dhul Hijjah are coming, which are days in which people could be fasting. It's a great month of worship. Also, Muharram is going to be coming after that, which is going to be a, a, a da Ashura which is a day of fasting. So the doors of Khair never come to an end. And Eid will be coming also. These are all uh, you know, moments of worship, opportunities of forgiveness, and opportunities to continue what a person was doing. What I found personally to be the best motivation to continue is number one, making a resolution. Allah, the Prophet he said, every action is judged by the intention. So making a resolution that after the month of Ramadan comes to an end, that you are going to take uh, at least one act of worship that you are going to perfect after Ramadan, and you're going to continue that, performing that, at least until the next Ramadan comes when you can complement it further. And the second, what I would say, so that's the first, making the intention, 
and 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 and, and doing that action, and also making taking advantage of all of the other seasons of worship. So perform the six days of fasting if you can. Take away, take some qiyam during the night if you can. So for example, if you can only pray even two units of prayer in the entire night, even as early as just praying them after your Isha prayer, that would be a huge amount of, that would be a huge thing that you take uh, with you after Ramadan comes to an end. Giving a monthly stipend sadaqah. Something simple is the most important thing that you can take away with you after Ramadan, inshallah. And I think for somebody, if we, if we can do that, then we've gained a huge amount in terms of istiqamah. Wallahu alam. Uh, we ask Allah to make us from those who are consistent, uh, from those who are steadfast upon the deen of Allah. And for our listeners, may Allah bless all of you. Um, Obviously, this will go on to different podcast platforms. And we advise everyone, inshallah ta'ala, to follow us and subscribe on our podcast. We are on a range of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, I think SoundCloud as well, potentially. We've got our website as well. So make sure, inshallah ta'ala, you, you stay tuned for our Roots Conversations, inshallah. Uh, as for now, uh, we would like to end it today, inshallah. So, barakallah fikum, Sheikh Mustafa. Uh, not Sheikh, sorry, I keep forgetting. You don't like that. Ustad, uh, Mustafa, inshallah, may Allah bless you for your efforts. And as for me as well, I'd like to I'll see you guys soon, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.